0: Our Father, we just pause once more to thank you again for your goodness towards us. Thank you for the lovely day. Thank you, Father, for visiting us and teaching us the things that we're learning here. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that you are a teacher. It is, spiritual. it is the Holy Spirit, Lord, who teaches us spiritual things. And so, Lord, once more, we ask for your abiding presence, that the blood of Christ will wash away our sins and his righteousness cover us. Father, uh, as we enter into this next segment of uh, victory over the power of sin, I pray, Lord, that you will be here to, to, in a very special way, fine-tune our hearts to recognize your voice speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that you will give to me once more the illustration and the words, and I thank you for that, Lord, that your name will be glorified, and each year will receive what they need here today. We thank you and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I was sharing with you um, I, I love talking about prayer because we serve a God who is real and a God who want to ma- who, who wants to manifest himself to us as being real and I think it was December um You know, working at the academy and the college uh, demands a lot of time for staff, as well as for students, and I was just really sensing and seeing a need for our family to spend some family time together, Um, but I wanted to go west. I have found that when you go on, on vacation, that to go on vacation to visit family, Doesn't really give you much time with your own family because the kids run off with the kids and the adults are with the adults and you don't connect And so I wanted to go the other direction. I wanted to go west But we needed you know some financial help for that And so I asked the Lord in prayer that if that was pleasing in his sight that he would give me an invitation to go west uh, That I could take my family and also share with others the things the Lord has taught us in the sanctuary And it wasn't a week that we got an invitation to come out here to Weimar and, uh, and that has been an answer to prayer for us in many ways. Our family really needed it. And I praise God that he cares so much for us, that he's real. And I, and I share with young people wherever I go that there is no greater adventure in this world than serving the Lord fully. There isn't. If you really want to live, how should I say, the Christian adventure, then make a decision to follow Christ fully, all the way not not half-heartedly you know not as um how should i say cultural adventists but rather entering into the experience of knowing jesus and surrendering the life to him and when we do that i mean life will never be boring again because god has called us to reach a world that is perishing in its sin and uh and it's exciting to to join god in that work so anyway so i'm thankful to be out here and uh, I just want to do a quick recap of some of the things that we have learned through the sanctuary prayer, and, and, and I'm going to springboard off that into our discussion for today. Uh, one thing we learned is, is that in the outer court, what we learned there is what we call justification, and, and I like to call it victory over the record of sin. Through the blood of Christ, our past record is, is washed away of sin. And so God gives us a whole new start in life. In place of our sinful record, he gives us his perfect record of life. He comes to us and he asks for an exchange. Give me your life, your broken life, and I will give you mine. And so in the records of heaven, what appears in our life is the righteousness of Jesus. Are you with me so far? Okay? So really what that is teaching us is how to become a Christian. But justification for it to be real must also have the other component, which is sanctification. The changing from what we were to what he wants us to be. And, and I call that uh, victory over the power of sin. How to live above its power so that we no longer live under its power through the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? And, and we call this sanctification. And the last component is glorification, which is victory over the presence of sin, when sin is done away with entirely. Are you with me? And so this is what the sanctuary teaches me, teaches us. You with me so far? Make sense? Okay. Yes. When we give our lives to Christ, we accept his sacrifice, then Jesus takes our broken life, And he gives to us his perfect life. We commit our life to him. Remember that in the outer court, when Jesus died on the cross and they thrusted the spear into his side, what came out? So here's your water and here's your blood. That's the justification, the price paid. Are you with me? Okay. Then, this this teaches us how to become a Christian. This teaches, teaches us how to remain one. And it's spending time with the Holy Spirit each day as we spend time in His Word and communion with God through prayer. This is the daily experience. And this this is how we get victory over the power of sin in the life. We're going to go into more details now that's done. But ultimately, what the sanctuary teaches us on the Day of Atonement is that sin is going to be eradicated. Not only from the universe, but dear friend, from you and me. Okay? And so it teaches us the three phases in the plan of salvation, victory of the record of sin, victory over the power of sin, victory over the presence of sin. Make sense? The one thing we have to understand, oh, wait, let me pass this out to you. Come on in. Three, four. There you go. And there's, whoops. You can. Here's a few more. I'm going to leave the rest right here for those who may come in later. <clears throat> the first thing we have to understand is that God is serious about dealing with sin. Sin is destruction. The wages of sin is what? It is death. And in Matthew 121, we find this very familiar text in reference to the Messiah, as the angel talked with Mary. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin, not in their sin, but from their sin. This is the focus and the theme of the mission of Christ and the sanctuary. What we lost in Eden was the image of God and the whole theme of the scriptures. And what the sanctuary teaches us is how God plans to restore within us the image that was lost. With me so far? Very, very important. Uh, so what we're going to look here is we're going to take a look at this work. And we're going to begin with question number one. And I like doing the Q&A here. What is God's will concerning his people? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, your what? your sanctification, that you may abstain, and here's an example from sexual morality, it could be anything, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And sanctification has to do with uh, being set aside for holy use. Now within our hearts, our minds, uh, I want you to think of this illustration, there is a throne. Somebody has to be in charge of us. And before we give our lives to Christ, we're calling our shots in our life, Or so we think. We're actually being <laughs> guided by, by our fallen nature and the devil. We just don't realize that. You know, I used to think that there were three sides. There was God's side, the devil's side, and my side. And I just leave this between the devil and God. Leave me out of it. It's not like that. There's only two sides. And Jesus says that if you're not for me, then you're what? Against me. There's only two sides. But, but in our hearts, there is a throne. And we like to sit on that throne... We like to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. Amen? Oh, one honest person. But anyway, we all know that to be true. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we're asking Jesus to take control of that throne. It's not by force. It's voluntary. We ask Jesus to now be the the king of our life and to rule upon our hearts. So what does that mean? That means that when something happens, like for me, for example, the very first thing that Jesus took from me or asked, for, asked of me when I first gave my life to him, um, I had a very, when, I, when the Lord uh, came into my life, I had a very strong sense of revenge. Okay? If somebody did something to me, they better get ready. It's coming back. The very first thing that Jesus gave, asked for, of me was this. And uh, I remember reading that text, as I began to read my Bible, and it said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so when somebody did something to me, I'd get very angry. And then, you know, the the previous, I wanted to default to my previous settings and be revengeful. But Jesus was saying to me, no. So I had to make a decision. Either I was going to let Jesus rule and surrender that to him, or I was going to pull him off the throne, put myself back on it, and I was going to do what I wanted to do. Are you with me? So a Christian, when they ask Jesus into their heart, when they come to that fork in the road where Jesus go right and we want to go left, if we've given our life to Jesus, we will surrender our will to His. But it's voluntary. Christ's control is never by force. It is voluntary. Does that make sense? So sanctification is about a change from how we used to be and what we used to do to a new way. Take a look at the note right below number one with me. Sanctification is the total surrender of our will To the will of God. It is something God does in the repentant sinner who cooperates with God. Bible sanctification is motivated and empowered all the way by the Holy Spirit and directed to the honor and glory of God. Without His power working in us, we are totally helpless and hopeless. Jesus said, Without me, you can do what? Nothing. It is God who transforms the believer in all aspects of his or her daily existence, in his thinking, acting, desires, in short, completely. This effect is seen in the home, the work, the school, the church, and in the community at large. Yes. Thank you for shedding light on the matter. Um, You know... I, I, you may have said this, and or you may have heard it, but you ever heard people say, God accepts me the way I am? You ever heard that? Um, I, You got a paper? Good deal. I, I don't, that's not true. It's not true. God does not accept us the way we are, and I'm so glad for that. God receives us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Does that make sense? God does not accept the stuff that's going on in our life. He loves the sinner, but he's got to deal with the sin issue. And so, so think of the invitation of God to tra- transform the life or, or, or to, to enter into our hearts like a shower. Does a shower receive you the way you are? But it doesn't leave you that way, right? The idea is to be cleansed, amen? And so that's what Jesus wants to do in each of our lives. Let's take a look at number two. In order to enjoy sanctification, what attitude must one have towards Jesus and sin? And this is extremely important because this is where a lot lot are going to lose their souls over. Is right here. Uh, 1 John 3.3 And everyone who has this hope in him does what? purifies himself just as he is pure. So there is a process of separating from sin. Amen? We have to understand. Now, there's two things that have to be going on. There has to be a pursuit of Christ as well as a getting away from sin. If if we focus on just getting away from sin, that's not going to save us. Because the power to get over that comes from Christ. So as we're pursuing Jesus and He reveals sin in the life, then through the power of the Holy Spirit we begin to separate ourselves from those things that will come between us and Christ. You with me? Okay. Let's look at the next one, Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight and so this is a prayer of someone who has a humble spirit a teachable spirit this is someone who is willing to be told that they're wrong any of you like to be told you're wrong no nobody likes it you know it's really funny if an angel showed up on our front door with a clipboard to point out all of our sins we wouldn't we we could handle that pretty okay because it's an angel but if somebody like your husband or your wife or your kids or your employer or somebody in the church comes to point out our stuff, we don't like it. But the thing is that when God, does, when God begins the work of pointing out what's wrong in our life, He's going to use people in our life that is going to demonstrate whether we really have a humble spirit or not. You remember that when God went to show Israel their apostasy, He would always send them a, a what? A A prophet. And just about every time, how did Israel receive the prophet? How did God's people receive the prophet? They rejected the prophet. And so we look at that and we say, what boneheads? How dumb can you get? But dear friend, how do we respond when God sends someone into our life to reveal what's going on in our life? We have to recognize the voice of God. And so this really has to be our attitude. We have to be willing to to let the Lord work in our lives and reveal these things to us. Once again, let's look in the note below that one. True sanctification is a how often work? A daily work. There's a note right there if you want to use that. A daily work on the first page. Continuing as long as life shall what? Last. Those who are battling with daily temptation, overcoming their own sinful tendencies, and seeking for holiness of heart and life, make no boastful claims of holiness. They are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and sin appears to them exceedingly what? You know, this whole concept hit me one day. Uh, Early in my walk, I was in my late 20s. This is before we had children, my wife and I. And I was at home watching a football game. I don't do that anymore. Okay? Uh, I don't do that anymore. But I was watching a game that day, and my, mother, and my wife walked up to me, and she pointed to me, and she said, I need you to be the priest of this house. And then she walked off down the hall and disappeared into the bedroom. And, 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 and there was nothing going on between us. It was a quiet. It was a nice afternoon. I don't know where that came from. I realize now that it was the Holy Spirit that had prompted her. Later, I asked her, what on earth? Why did you say that to me? And she, it just came to her. But the truth of the matter was that neither of us even knew what that meant. And so I began to study my Bible. And to make a long story short, I began to realize that that to be the priest of the home means to be like Jesus. And and it it really hit me as as I studied the life of Christ and I watched how Jesus dealt with his disciples. You know, can I just say this? And I don't mean this disrespectfully. I am so glad that the disciples were boneheads. They, they mean, they really were. If you just study the stuff they were doing, you're like, mercy. Where were these guys' heads? I mean, uh, somebody is, is, is doing work, and they're, and they're not part of the disciples, and John tells him, hey, you stop working. You're not part of the club. Remember when Jesus said to him, hey, if he's not against us, then he's for us. And you remember when the Samaritans di- uh, didn't invite Jesus to spend, the, to spend the night with them, John said, hey, should I rain fire from heaven? Should we we do that? You know, I'm so glad that these guys were stumbling, bumbling, because Jesus never told them to get lost. He always worked with them. He was patient. As long as they stayed with Jesus, there was hope for them. Are you with me? And so when I studied their life, it gave me hope as well. But the thing that fascinated me the most was the dealings of Jesus with Judas. Jesus knew what Judas was doing, and no one else did. Jesus at any moment could have exposed him. You know, in the upper room that night, Jesus could have exposed Judas. Do you remember what Peter did when the, when, the, when the temple guard came to arrest him? He took his ear off. If the group had known what Judas was about to do, do you think he would have made it to the door? Jesus could have exposed him, could have pushed him into a corner and make him look bad, but he didn't. He worked quietly with him. Nobody knew what was going on. Quiet sin is dealt with quietly. And he, and he worked with them. And it's very interesting that if we were to study uh, the, the, the Jewish culture of the day, we will find that that night in the upper room, Jesus was firing his weapons of love in full fury on Judas that night. He gave him the position of honor by sitting next to him. He washed his feet first. He gave him the first piece of bread. It was, he was totally showing honor and respect and love to Judas. Ellen White says that he almost surrendered his heart and, and when I when my thought of the words of my wife, to be the priest of the home, is to be like the priest, like Christ. It's not being controlling. It is leading by a loving example. It is by dealing with the rebel in a loving and patient way. It is never uh, compromising with evil and sin, but it's loving the sinner while dealing with the issues. Does that make sense? And so it was at that moment in my Christian walk that I realized That being like Jesus isn't some pie in the sky, wish upon a star, let's see how close we can get. It is actually God's goal for you and me. For all of us, it is to be like Christ. Um, And so the key then is how is that accomplished? I don't know about you, that that has been a desperate struggle. I want to be like Jesus in everything and I'm going to share with you the things that I've come to learn and I hope they'll be a blessing. But it's found in our next text. It's very simple. How is this work accomplished? John 15:4 through 6, we find these words. Abide. In fact, every time we see the word abide, I would like for you everything I have it underlined. Yes, sir. Yeah. Was Enoch, was Enoch translated? I'm sorry. Was, was Enoch translated? Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I believe I am fully, and I don't think it take any difficulty whatsoever to to support this. But I believe that when God's people engage this message in earnestness, we will bring on it will bring on the final crisis. Ellen White made the comment that Christ could have come. In 1898, she made this comment. Christ could have come ere long before now. And the reason why he's having it is because we have not engaged the message of righteous by faith. We don't believe he can do it. But when a generation will arise that will believe that, and the work will be completed, and we're out of here. And I believe that generation right now is walking the earth. We're getting ready to get out of here. I believe the crisis is about to break upon us. I do. But Yes, you're welcome. But let's take a look at the key here. How is this work accomplished? John 15, verses 4 through 6, and I'll let you begin. In me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it in the vine. Neither can you, my dear child, unless you in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who... In me, and I in him, bears much. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are what? They're burnt. The key to living a Christ-filled life is connecting with Christ. Not just once, but every day. Is that abiding relationship... You know, I've drawn this out. I usually have with me uh, a wreath that has grapes. It's, made of, it's a grapevine, and I like using that. So we we'll have to use the imagination here a little bit. I grew up in the city, um, and uh, I haven't seen too many grapevines. Some of you are from Napa Valley, and, and you have. So if you go out there in a cool morning, and you stand by the grapes, and you listen, let me tell you what you will not hear. You won't hear, uh, grape, uh, grape, uh, grape. You don't, you don't hear the, 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 the little branches straining the little hearts out to produce grapes. Grapes is a, is a byproduct of being connected. It is by beholding that we become You see, uh, within each of us, God, everything in this universe, operates off law. Amen? Amen. Except for planet Earth, actually, what we're doing. But but most everything else is in harmony and is operating on natural law. Okay, what law is this? I don't believe in gravity. Did it matter? No. It didn't matter. Gravity still works. That is a natural law. God has placed in our minds a natural law. And... In, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, why don't we look at that? Because this is very, very important. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is bringing out to us uh, this principle of how the transformation works. 2 Corinthians three verse eighteen. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror... By the way, do you think of another text that talks about a mirror? What's that? Uh, the law. Okay, James talks about that, right? The law is a mirror. What is the law? It is a transcript of the character of God. What is the glory of God? His character. Watch this. But we all, with unveiled fails, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being What? transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we see the Holy Spirit as the active agent. But as we spend time in the Word, as we spend time meditating upon Christ, thinking about Christ, imperceptibly we're being transformed. Ellen White uses the expression imperceptibly. What does that mean? That means that you may not be that much aware of it. As long as you're focusing on Jesus, you and I are always going to be aware of our defects. Do you know when we get into trouble is when we start looking good? Laodicea is rich, increased in goods, in need of nothing. But as long as we're beholding Christ, we're always going to be aware of of our unworthiness. But our confidence is never in self, but in Jesus and his righteousness. Amen? But as we're looking to him, we're being transformed. Solomon said it a different way. As a man thinketh in his heart... So is he. Do you understand now why the devil is so big into entertainment? He doesn't want us thinking about Jesus. We watch that movie, and for the next week, we can't get it out of our heads. And let me add, months and years. It just replays over and over. Man, if we did that with Jesus, what would we be like today? We have a natural default setting for evil, friends. We have to fight it. We have to fight it. And so the devil throws at us music and fashion and movies and books and anything that will magnify his character because by beholding, we become changed. And so the world is polarizing. There's a group that is becoming more and more like Jesus, and the rest more and more like the devil. Are you with me? In character, you and I choose what we think about, you and I choose what we behold. So if we really want to be like Jesus, it's going to be evident by the choices we make of what we are feeding our mind. Does this make sense? So the abiding presence, spending time with Jesus. Let's take a look at number four. Through what medium is this abiding change wrought? It is wrought through the daily experience. My work in cooperating with Jesus is to meet with Him each day and submit to His work and leading. And so here we find in the brazen altar our confessing and turning from sin. John 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our, of our sins. Amen? And number two, it's a daily commitment to Jesus. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. It's a commitment to follow Christ. Number three, an obedient uh, life, we learned this through the, holy, through the candlestick, is brought about through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen sixteen being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, right? And number four, studying the Word of God, that's what we learned from the table of showbread. And, and again, we mentioned, by beholding we become chained, chained, we are sanctified by His truth. And number five, it's communing with God in prayer, and that we learned at the golden uh, altar, in First John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now listen, this is why the devotional life is not optional. But Pastor Baute, it's such a struggle for me. Welcome to the club. It's not optional. If we're really serious about getting ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, a devotional life is not optional. Now listen, listen here. The devil doesn't care that we go to church on Saturday. The devil does not care that we eat our veggie links and we're vegetarians. The devil doesn't care that we pay tithe. But when you begin to have a devotional life, now you have his attention. You see, we've got to remember that the, that the health message, having the health message, having the Sabbath and paying tithe is a description of the people that crucified Christ. The health message, the Sabbath, and, and, and tithing is a description of the people that crucified Jesus Christ. But they were not meeting with God every day for the transformation in their life. So when they encountered their Savior, they didn't recognize Him. But when we spend time with Jesus each day and asking Him into our life to transform us, the devil now is going to take notice. Notice. And now the battle is on. Because the battle is for our mind. He doesn't want us thinking about Christ and yielding our life. You know, you may be a morning person. I am a morning person. You may be a morning person. But the moment you make the decision to meet with Jesus, you're going to feel like you have been super glued to your bed. Suddenly you've got to work late. Suddenly you're going to be exhausted. It is a battle royale, dear friends. It is. But those who will be ready to meet Jesus... The second coming are those who fought through it. But Pastor Baute, there are times that I really blow it and I don't feel like I deserve to meet with God. Well, let me set the record straight. None of us deserve to meet with God. We will never do anything to earn that. It is extended to us as a gift. Ellen White makes this comment. She says, it is the times that we don't feel like like praying. It is a time that we don't feel like studying the Bible that we must. Does that make sense? That's encouraging. So if you should blow it, if you should take your eyes off of Christ and for a moment you mess up. And now the devil's going to rain down on you and say, you hypocrite, you loser. God doesn't want to meet with you. Don't listen to him because he is a liar and the father of lies. You turn to Jesus and he's waiting with arms wide open. Okay, you with me? We serve a loving Savior who wants to deal with the sin issue in our life. Let's take a look at the note right below that section I just read. This is the daily holy place experience. It was for Israel of old and it is for us today. While with penitence and humble trust we meditate upon Jesus through his word, whom our sins have pierced and our sorrows have burdened, we may learn to walk in his footsteps. By beholding him, we become changed into his divine likeness. And when this work is produced in us, we will claim no righteousness of our own, but will exalt Jesus while we hang our helpless souls upon Upon his merits, And it takes time for a proud sinner to understand this. Because sinners want credit for their salvation. We want to earn it somehow. And we can't. And we never will. All we can do is submit to the process. And when we do something good, give all the glory to God. Because there's nothing good in us. You know, I think of the words of Jesus, who talking to his, his disciples, he said this. When you have done what you were told consider yourself an unprofitable servant and it's the same with us we have nothing of which to bold to 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 boast except for the goodness of god does that make sense but the human carnal heart does not like that it wants credit and that's true for you friend and for me for all of us we want somehow to earn it i want to share something with you that has been a help to me forgive me i'll turn off the lights just for a moment i'll turn them off can I use you as a guinea pig? As my, you don't have to do anything. It won't be embarrassing. Can you just flash this towards me? I had you scared there for a moment, didn't I? Okay, you can look at me. You can. In fact, if you hold it out a little bit towards me, or if you can hold it like that, perfect. This is me. And this is not a good example because we got so much light, but I want you to imagine this room is totally dark. This cup is full of darkness. You can shine it right here. And and so you say to me, you know, uh, George, your problem is that your life is so full of darkness and so full of sin. What you need to do is get rid of that. Oh, okay. So what do we do? You know, what my problem is, I'm not trying hard enough. That's my problem. And we try and we try. Lord, I'm worse now than when I started. And we get so discouraged. I guess I was meant, maybe salvation was meant for everyone else but me. I guess that's what's happening. And then until a kind friend says, no, dear friend, turn to Christ. Your hope is in Jesus, not in yourself. And we struggle to understand what that means. And so we begin to spend time with Jesus. And we turn to the light. Now what happens in here? What happened to the darkness? Well, we look and there's still, we see that there's some light in there, right? Right? But there's still some shadows. What do I do now to get rid of the shadows? And as we do, that light shines brighter until Christ lives in us fully, the hope of glory. And that light shines out from within us. You see, what we're dealing with is natural law. Light and darkness cannot coexist in the same space. Did you hear me? It cannot. And do you remember in the story of Lazarus, when, um, when they asked for Jesus to come because Lazarus was dying and he didn't come. Do you remember what Ellen White said about that? She said Jesus didn't go because if he, had, if he would have come, then, Satan would not, then, then he would not have fallen under the power of death. Jesus' presence in the room would have negated the devil's power to kill him. Do you remember that quote in the Spirit of Prophecy? I'm paraphrasing. It. I don't remember exactly how it goes. But the idea is that in the presence of God, death would, not, would have lost its power. It would not have been able to take him down. As we spend time with Jesus, sin begins to lose its power in our life. Does this make sense? You know, I have people come to me who are struggling with various addictions from pornography to smoking, and I will listen to them. And the first question I ask them is, how's your devotional life? I don't have one. Or it's sporadic. And so their victories are sporadic. And so I, I, what I'll do with them is I'll say, okay, and I give them literature on how to give up smoking. I'll tell them, look, don't freak out. I'm not asking you to do it next week. I just want you to understand the process. So they do. And then I say to them, now we're going to pick a date. And then we pick a date, and I give them the book Desire of Ages. And I tell them, you read this book all the way through now. Every day, you read. And as they do, and they're beholding Christ, then they have courage and strength to resist the urges until God finally breaks them totally free. I have watched Jesus break people free from sin through that simple book, Desire of Ages. I didn't send him off to some clinic somewhere. Are you with me? And the same thing with pornography or, any, or whatever the sin is. Victory is found in Christ. Are you with me? Victory is found in Jesus. And so that's the illustration there. You know, it's so interesting. I used to think that in the battle with sin that Jesus would somehow reach into my heart and rip sin out. And, I, and I've come to realize that's not it. But God works with me to show me what sin really is. And I vomit it up. I lose interest. And if you had only known me what I was like before, I used to give Christians a hard time. I'm really ashamed to say that. I used to mock them. You know the things I used to do I now hate? And the things that I used to hate, I now love. I, I remember being in a used car uh, lot. I went to go speak to, uh, to a man about a motor home. And uh, he came out, and we started talking. The conversation turned religious. He was actually a, J, a JW, uh, Jehovah's Witness. And, and he, he figured out really fast I was an Adventist. Uh, and he says to me, you know, the, the law can't be kept. God's law can't be kept. And I looked at him, and I said to him, th- and, I, and I, won't, I won't tell you what I told him, but I said to him this, I used, this used to control me in my life, and this, and this, and this, and I listed to him the vices that used to control me. Then I said to him, none of those things control me now. How do you explain it? He had no explanation. I said, dear friend, I can answer that question. Jesus has set me free. And so the power to live a victorious life A a power to live in harmony with the law of God is found in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Not in you and me. It's found in Jesus. Now, we do have a choice to make. God has given us the freedom of choice, but the power to make that choice work is found in Christ. Let me give you a quick illustration. Do you remember the story of the paralytic? Here was a guy for 38 years, didn't walk. Did he want to walk? Do you think he tried to walk? Did it work? No. And one day, Jesus asked him a question. Do you want to walk? Do you want to be made well? Now, for some of us, we'll think, what a crazy question. But you know, but sometimes we have vices, and we really have to ask the question, do we really want to be set free? Because Jesus can't until we choose to. And so Jesus said to the man, get up and walk. Listen to me. At that moment, the power was available. But he had to make the? Choice. He made the choice. He acted on the word of Christ, and victory was his. Are you with me? And so the choice is ours, but the power is God's. And even the desire to to want to be set free comes in spending time with him. Let's take a look at number five, and it points this out. Where does the power to obey come from? Philippians two thirteen says, For it is God who works where? In you to will, that's your desire, and to do, that's the performance of his good pleasure. God gives us the desire. As we spend time with Jesus, our perception of what is evil and wrong begins to change. It finds tune. And what before seemed like an okay thing, suddenly we're not so comfortable with it. I'll give you an example. When I was, the second thing that Jesus wanted from me was my foul language. I I swore like a sailor. Um, It was terrible. Um, I mean, If you had taken away my four-letter words, my communicating would be really limited because I used it so much. It was terrible. And uh, I had friends who would tell me, I know exactly what your last words are going to be. I had friends who would say this. If you scared me, filth and foul. If something fell on my foot, filth and foul. And uh, it was awful. And then one day I was reading my Bible. Now, mind you, I'm doing this while I'm reading the Word of God. But I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. And one day I read where it said, let no corrupt communication escape your lips. And suddenly I realized that what was coming out of my mouth was full-on corruption. Okay, so what's the next thing? Stop. So I said to the Lord, okay, I'll stop. That was my New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. Following year, that was my New Year's resolution again. Did I want to stop? Who was I leaning upon? On My sincerity did not set me free. But I didn't understand this process. And so about six months after that, I finally went to my knees in despair. And I said, God, I said, there is no argument between you and me. I really don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to curse. But I keep cursing, and I don't want to. I said, Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you've got to do to set me free. I don't care what it is. But whatever it takes, you do it because I've tried and I failed. So I'm asking you to do it. Please help me. And I cannot tell you, dear friend, how quickly it was he gave me victory. I don't know. But I can tell you, about three months after that prayer, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had a worse mouth than I did. I think he was about the only person I knew who had a worse mouth. And whenever he and I got together and we started talking, ooh, it was so colorful. But we were on the phone, and I was listening to him, and suddenly it sounded horrible. Ooh, yeah, how are you doing? Ah. And, um, and when he hung up, I thought, oh, that's awful. And then I thought about it, and I realized, hey, I didn't, I didn't curse. And I couldn't remember when I'd stopped. The power is found in Christ. All the glory to Jesus, and not in me. But even though they were, I was still struggling in my life, I kept meeting with Jesus. And little by little, he was working with me, transforming me. Does this make sense? It is a process. Let's take a look here at number six. How does God do this? Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Um, Every time I, I see the word I, I would like you to say it nice and loud, okay? So we begin. This is God speaking, by the way. We'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. We'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh will put my spirit within you, and watch this, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Thank you, sister. Hebrews 10, 16, This is the covenant that will make with them after those days, says the Lord, will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will write them. This is what God wants to do. As we spend time with Jesus, drawing closer, he works in us imperceptibly. And dear friend, when Jesus gives you the victory, don't ever boast. Don't ever boast. All the glory goes to God. Let's take a note right below that. This is a quote from Desire of Ages, page 668. Hang carefully on these words. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, He will so identify Himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God, as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual what? Obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become what? hateful. See, the problem right now is the devil has covered sin with such glitter and glitz. We don't see it for what it is. But as we come into the light, suddenly we see things in a different light and this thing that seemed okay suddenly isn't so okay anymore. And sin loses its hold upon the light. I remember a story of a young man. Um, The story was set in the turn of the century, two turns of the century ago. It was a steamship that was leaving uh, Liverpool and uh, it was leaving in the middle of a storm. The storm wasn't that intense. But as they got further away from land, the storm intensified. And the ship was overwhelmed. And um, water began the ship began to take on water, got into the boiler room, and the ship uh, lost power eventually. The captain of this vessel was a man of integrity. No captain wants to lose a ship. But he was afraid of losing passengers. So he gave the order that is so difficult for a captain to give, abandon ship. And so it was a very orderly and organized evacuation of the vessel. The captain stayed on board the ship as it was continuing to take on water to make sure that no one uh, was going to be left out. And they had enough life preservers for everyone, though they didn't have enough lifeboats. But everyone was taken care of and taken overboard. The captain stayed on board until he was sure everyone was off. As the ship was sinking in that terrible storm, he climbed over the railing and was getting ready to push himself off when he noticed under the stairwell a movement. He came back on board the vessel to investigate the movement, and there he found a boy. The young man was a stowaway. He was on board the vessel illegally. He broke the law. The rightful thing would have been for him to die, to reap the consequences of his own choice. The captain looked at the the boy for a moment, and without saying a word, he took off his life preserver, and he put it on the boy and fastened it. He took him to the edge and pushed him as far away from the boat as he could. Later, when the passengers had made it to shore, The crew gathered everyone together and they took inventory to make sure everyone was there to see who was missing. They discovered only one was missing, and it was the captain who didn't make it to shore. When it was announced that the captain had died, the boy fell to his knees and wept. And as he wept, he said over and over, He died for me. He died for me. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that the boy was ever tempted again to be a stowaway? Do you think that the boy had victory over stowing away? When we come to the place to understand what our sins do to Christ, it loses its power in the life. We view it differently. It is now repulsive to us. And what we once were is changed. Does this make sense? It is how God works in the life as we continue to draw closer to the light. Number seven, when united to Jesus, what is our duty? Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you then being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. The devil's job is to reverse that. He wants us to set our affections on the things of the earth and not be heavenly minded. And for the most part, and for the vast majority of the world, and dare I say the Christian world, the devil has been successful. But Christ is saying, no, dear friend, look to me and live. Spend time with me. Let me choose for you. Let me plan for you. I know what will make you happy. I created you. I know how you tick. I know your needs. I can help you. And Jesus can and will. I bear witness to that. I bear witness to that. In Matthew six thirty three, we have the answers. Jesus speaks to us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, it's amazing to me that, it, that, you know, when you think of Eve, what messed up Eve is she was looking where she should not have been looking. If you look at the account there in Genesis, it says, looking at the fruit, she saw that it was good to eat. Listen, when we start spending time with stuff we know we shouldn't be spending time with, in the beginning we may think it's bad, but after a while, it loses that. Listen, if there's a young lady and you're a man and you're married, you don't need to be looking there. Don't think of it. Eradicate the thought. If you're single and you're a student and it's not the time in your life, eradicate the thought. It helped me one day to learn that just because the thought is in my head doesn't mean it's sin unless I entertain it. Satan has the capacity of putting thoughts in your mind. Did you know that? You didn't know that? Did you know the devil can put thoughts in your mind? He can. That's not a sin. But it becomes a sin if you start chewing on it. If you take ownership of that thought, the moment it comes in, kick it out. Call in the name of Jesus. Claim a Bible promise. I learned this from someone who used to be a devil worshiper. In fact, he wrote a book called uh, um, The Power... Wait... It was Roger Monod. He wrote a number of books. This was the most freeing thing because these thoughts would come from my past of things that I had done would come to my mind and I would feel so horrible. I would say, you know what? I was never converted, I guess. And that's another thought the devil puts on. Many times these thoughts come to our mind and because they begin with the word I, we think they're ours. This is what I would like to do. That thought. and we got If it's something contrary to the will of God, dear friend, get rid of that thought. Replace it. Are you with me? Claiming a promise, singing a hymn. Don't entertain it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Look, if you need a spouse, take it to the Lord in prayer. Leave it there. He will decide who, when, and where. Are you with me? I wasted a lot of years, and I hurt myself and other people because I didn't understand this. But I finally came to the place after enough pain to go to the Lord in prayer and say, You know, Lord, I have been a miserable failure in this area of my life. I'm surrendering it to you. This was early in my walk, and I said, I want you to pick the person for me. He brought a girl from North Carolina. I was living in California, and he brought her over to my school. And as I watched and listened, I began to see that that God was, was in her life, and that's what I wanted. And the Lord brought us together. Now, if somebody had said to me, if an angel had said, you know, we found someone for you. She's in North Carolina. And I'm th- I would say, I live in L.A. County. I got 6.5 million people here. How in the world am I going to meet her? Hey, we serve a great God. Amen. He knows when and where. Amen? And so if we seek to know Jesus and to do his will, he will give to us the things we need when we need them. We don't have to sweat it. Do you believe that, friend? Listen, I can come up here and tell you stories of how he got me through school with no money. I can tell you, I, I share with you some of the stories here, simple stories. We serve a real God. Many people come to me and say, you know, Pastor Baute, God doesn't do that in my life. So I sit them down and I ask them a few questions. Do you have a devotional life? Most of the time they say no, okay. Secondly, I say to them, are, if they do say yes, are you doing what God is asking you to do? And if they say to me no, I say, look, deal with these issues God wants to be real with you, but you've got to be real with God. Amen? Amen? Isn't that true? <laughs> Let's take a look at number eight. Sadly, Paul warned that in the last days, much of, the, uh, much of Christianity would become like the world. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But know this. That in the last days perilous times would come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know, just being members of the right club isn't going to save us. It's allowing Jesus to rule our heart and to being a living connection with him and allowing Christ to shine through us. It's a living connection with Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not club membership that's going to save us, but that connection with Jesus. But we're living in a time where you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a worldly. They do the same things. They wear the same things. They listen to the same things. They watch the same things and then they go to church on Sabbath and they're getting ready for the second coming. I am sorry, they're not. We're either preparing to leave with Jesus or to be left, or to be left here on earth in, in the fires. And, and that is being done by our daily choices. One thing that is very difficult for us as a people is to go against our feelings. Can I hear an Amen. We don't like that. We don't like to go against our feelings. And yet we do it in some things. How many of you arrive on time for your first class? Any of you arrive on time for your first class? Yes. Come on, y'all do too. You arrive on time for your first class. How many of you arrive on time for work? How many of you want to? Yet we know we must, and so we do what we know we must do. Amen? So we know how to make decisions contrary to our feelings. We now got to transfer that in our walk with Christ. Are you with me? We know how to do this, we just got to make the choice to do it. Amen? And what happens is that God later changes your feelings. That's what's so weird. There are things I used to, I I just didn't think I could ever live without. And now I look back at it and I think, how nuts was that? I have no interest in those things anymore. I don't white knuckle it. I, I don't sit there at night wishing I can do it. It's gone from me. By the grace of God. But at the time, it was like a mountain. It was like, oh, I'll never, how can I, oh Lord, help. You know what I'm saying? But now it's like, how silly. Sin is really weird. And only Jesus can break us free from it. He's the only one that can. Okay, let's take a look here. Um. Let's look at the note right below number 8. The power to transform lives comes only from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But when we love the world, we lose our abiding with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? The world will give you a desire. You know, I remember uh, when I was in La Sierra hearing about uh, some study that was done in Loma Linda with rats that what they did, check this out, this is amazing, but they fed the rats, they had two groups of rats. One group of rats, they fed whatever rats eat, you know, natural stuff, seeds, nuts, grains, whatever. <laughs> this sounds pretty healthy, doesn't it? And then the other groups of rats, they fed the average Ameri- They fed fruit, the average American diet. They gave it Pepsi, they gave it French fries, they gave it burgers, they gave it pizza. Are you with me? At the end of a prescribed period of time, they then put two dishes before two sets of rats. One was alcohol, the other water. The group that had the natural food avoided the alcohol and went straight for the water. But the other group, that food had created a chemical imbalance within them that caused them to want the alcohol. Wow. Whatever we're feeding our heads is creating an appetite for either the spiritual or against it. If you don't have an interest in spiritual stuff, we, ought, you, we need to ask ourselves, what am I feeding my head? Because the things of the world will suck out of us the desire for spirituality. We have to guard the avenues of the soul. Amen? We have a choice in this. So very important. Let's take a look here, number nine. As Jesus works to transform me, what is to be my response? Luke twenty two forty two saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be what? Done. Done. That's called surrender. That's called going against your feelings. If in Gethsemane Jesus had made a decision based on his feelings, where would you and I be today? Finished. But Jesus made a decision contrary to his feelings. He did what was right, and he left us an example for us to follow. You know, I think about the story of the rich young ruler. You know, that his story, talk, I hate to say forgive me, talk about a loser story. You know, Jesus asked 12 people to follow him. He was the 12th. He said no. He was a member of the ruling class, a member of the Sanhedrin. Can you imagine the role he played later in the life of Christ? But he was a young man who was very sincere. Lord, I've done everything I know to do what is, that is right. But yet something lacked inside of him. There was an emptiness. He was doing the right things. But there was an emptiness. And he came to the Lord and says, what do I lack? There was something that was controlling his life and it wasn't God. And so Jesus revealed it to him. And you remember that how he responded. It was too big of a request, and he walked away. But I want to ask something now. Let's rewind. (laughs) And now picture this. What if when Jesus pointed out to him his sin, what if the rich young ruler had said this? Lord, it's true. I love my money more than I love you, and I don't want to give it up. Will you help me? What would Jesus have done? He would have granted the request. We need to keep coming to Jesus and asking him. We need to keep looking to Jesus. Are you with me? That's where the power is found and the desire is found. Number 10. How is the state of things brought about? You know, there's something that keeps coming to my mind. I want to share it here. There's only one sin that God cannot forgive. It's the one we don't ask for forgiveness over. Are you with me? The only sin that God can't forgive is the one we don't ask for forgiveness over. There are sins that we excuse, and we cannot do that. The moment we excuse a sin, God cannot touch it. Did you hear me? I'm Cuban. Cubans yell and scream at people. That's what we do. I can't help it. I am excusing sin, and God cannot touch it now. God can only deal with sin. And so if I say, you know, I act this way because I was dropped as a baby. Well, I act this way because my mother and father did this. The moment we do any of that, it destroys God's ability to deal with the sin in our life. How many of you have been to a mall? I, by the way, those things are getting so corrupt. Mercy, I had to go find shoes, and it was like, get me out of here. But anyway, all right. You know that... Now, when you go to a mall, you're looking for your store. And that's me, laser surgery. Where's the store? I want to go there. Boom, boom, get out. And, uh, and then you see a marquee that says you are here. But does that mean you're going to be there for the rest of your life? No. No. It just means this is where you are right now. It gives you a point of reference. But the idea is to get to your goal. And so, OK, so you were dropped as a baby. OK, so you're Cuban. And you yell at your family or, or whatever. That is only you are here. But you got to get out of there. Your past may explain where you are right now, but that has got to change. That's not an excuse to continue in it. Does that make sense? And so that's what Jesus, Jesus wants to deal with the whole thing. Okay, where am I now? I, I gotta, okay, number 10. How is the state of things brought about? Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that can only happen as we spend time with the Lord. The next one, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. Take my yoke upon you, and what? Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find what? Rest for your souls. Look at the note. The change is brought about by taking our eyes off sin and self and placing them on Jesus through the study of his word and meditating upon his life. So often we focus on our sin. 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 I did it. And by beholding, you become changed. Sometimes we focus on everybody else's sin. This guy in the church is, is mean. That lady in the church is this. By beholding, you become changed. Don't look at that. Okay, so you blew it. Look back to Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. Run to Christ and keep going. But don't keep meditating on your failures. But look at Christ's victory. By beholding, we become changed. 11. In all things, what should be our mindset? Philippians 2, five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I like that little... Uh, cliche or what have you, W W G J D. what would Jesus do? We need to spend some time with that. In certain situations, what would Christ do in my place? We need to ask ourselves those things. Number 12, to what extent must our deeds be done with reference to God's glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31, wherefore, whether, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do it all to what? The glory of God. Too often we're trying to appease our friends too often we're trying to appease our bosses and we're not taking into account, into account what pleases God. And we rob God of the glory that He wanted to shine through our lives when we're more interested in pleasing others than Him. You with me? Let's live for His glory, live for His glory and honor. Uh, let's take a look at number 13. How much must we give up to become a true disciple of Jesus? Luke 14, So likewise Whatsoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. You know, anything that becomes, becomes between our soul and our Savior, we must be given up. Amen? Amen? You know, have you ever thought of what Jesus gave up? He gave up his home and glory. He gave up the adoration of angels. He gave up that relationship that he had with his Father for all eternity. He now entered into a human body. And now for all eternity will be flesh. Now he has scars for the rest of eternity when you and I will have none. He gave up good things to save us. What in the world are we unwilling to give up? The only thing he asks us to give up is that which will destroy us. That's all and nothing more. Nothing more. Number 14. If we thus follow Jesus, how will Satan respond? John 15:20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they would keep yours also. In the last days, we know as a people that there's only one group that the devil is wroth with. Those who keep the commandments of Jesus, of the, com- the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those are the only people that the devil's mad at. Dear friend, I want the devil mad at me. I don't want a happy devil on my case. If the devil's not concerned with me, it's because I'm on his side. Are you with me? When you give your life to Jesus and you have difficulties, the Lord only allows it to refine us. But he will never let us go beyond what we can't handle. Isn't that fair? Oh, I want to go off on this? You have no idea. I'm looking at our time. I'm going to shorten my next talk. I'm just going a little bit longer on this one, but I'll shorten the next one. But but that is so awesome to me um there was a i remember a story i lived in the south and um and you know that in the south that there was slavery there and this man uh took his slave and they were going to go duck hunting he had several guns with him and he took his slave and the idea of course to shoot the ducks right and uh, on the way there the man the owner was an atheist and uh he enjoyed mocking his slave who was a christian and on the way there he said to the christian you know explain something to me how is it that you're a Christian and you have such a difficult life and I'm an atheist, totally godless, and my life is so easy? And the poor Christian man, he didn't have an answer. Well, they got to the lake, the pond rather, and they set up and the ducks came and the man began shooting the ducks. And ducks began falling and the the master said, look, look, forget the dead ones, go after the live ones, the the wounded ones, don't let them get away. And so he did, he, he gathered them all and then finally gathered up the dead ducks and he came to the master and he said to him, I now have my answer for you. He says, What's that? He said, I'm like the wounded duck. The devil doesn't want me to get away, and so he chases me and gives me a hard time. He said, But you're like the dead ducks. He has you already. And so when you give your life to Christ, you can expect difficulty, but God will only use it to your good. He will bring out beauty for ashes. Whatever the devil tries to do to destroy us, God will use to purify us. Never forget that when you get a lump of coal and you put it under pressure and heat, that's how you get a diamond. You with me? That is something to teach us how God works. All right, number 15. Will the devil allow God to do this wonderful work in our lives unopposed? Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his what? his tabernacle and those who dwell in the heavens the devil hates this the devil does not want us to understand what God is doing to save us he doesn't want us to so you know what he does he set up his own tabernacle on earth with its own priesthood its own high priest and its own way of dealing with sin so that men do not look to heaven but to the earth how sad is that Not to heaven, but to the earth. Let's take a look at number 17. When Christians allow Jesus to finish the work in them, what will be the result? Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. It's not just something that is preached. It is something that is lived. Because actions speak louder than words. And number 18. In this struggle, who is more powerful, the devil or Jesus? John sixteen thirty three, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And in 1 John 4, 4, you are, you are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can you say amen to that? Number 19, therefore, how confident can you and I be that Jesus will be successful in my life? Now, I love this translation. It's the mouth translation. Watch how it reads. Philippians 1.6, for this I am confident. For this I am what? Um, confident. That he who began a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. And my young friends, are you and I ready and willing to let Jesus do that work in our life. He is ready and willing to do that. I'd like to close out with prayer. I'm looking at our time. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my next presentation shorter. And I'll make up for that time there. In the next presentation, we're going to look at the operation of the judgment. We're going to look at the mechanics. We're going to see how it works. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to do. Let's close out with prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for your love and mercy and just the way that you lead and guide us in our lives. We're so grateful that you are our great high priest and you're working in us to finish this work. Help us, Lord, to believe you, that you truly have power to set us free. Help us to redirect our thoughts, Father, to you. And I thank you for that. Lord, right now, I just ask that you'll prepare us for the next presentation. And we we thank you for this and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.